There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon, the show at Freight Waves, where we discuss decarbonization through a lens of freight, fuels, and energy. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and today I'm joined by Kevin Morales. How you doing, man? Great. Glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. This is going to be a fun one. Let's let's catch the listeners up a little bit on, on who you are and what you're doing and what you're focused on now. But normally I give the intro over to the guests, but since you and I have been working together on a few things, I'm going to take the first stab and then have you correct me if that's cool. Um, you and I met through uh, James over at Pacurate. He's a previous guest on the show. Um, we both have similar focuses on sustainable freight and logistics, but but rather different backgrounds. So you come from uh, LTL Parcel World. You were a senior product manager at FedEx. You were a chief sustainability officer at an e-commerce 3PL. And now you've got a new venture that we'll dig into just a little bit. But why don't you give me the logistics journey? Because that's that's where I like starting. People are born into this industry. They're falling into it and can't get out. How did you get into it? Well, I did a startup in collision repair that didn't go so well. FedEx called me and said, hey, want to move from San Diego to Memphis? And I said, sure, let's do that. And wound up there in a variety of roles, uh, mostly on the software development, product management, marketing. But slowly over time, learned about logistics. I had the great fortune of working on all of, of FedEx's customer-facing reporting. So really got to just dive in and over years have learned a bit about it and just here I am. I love it. I didn't even mention, and I'm surprised you didn't either, that you're a recovering, recovering journalist as well. How does that tie into the story? You asked how they went up in logistics and going further back, it, I always wanted to be a writer. I figured if I wasn't a very good writer, that I'd have some good stories. So I biked through South America, came back, actually managed to write some stuff because you get good stories that way. Eventually became a reporter, decided I was going to go into freelance. And about six months into my three years to really establish myself, I figured out, I discovered I was going to be a dad and then wound up having to get a real job. And that's how I wound up in product management, which eventually led to me making it over to FedEx. So that's kind of a, the longer story. I actually didn't know bits and pieces of that story, but I, I feel uh, feel not your pain, but your story. I, I connect with your story that necessity is kind of the mother of invention or at least next steps when we're taking career journeys. So um, tell me a little bit about the latest venture you've been working on though and how you and I met kind of in that conversation with James. Yeah, so... A few years ago, I really was looking at how do I make a difference, right? Uh, climate change is real. It's accelerating. And and fundamentally, you know, my job at FedEx was to encourage people to ship stuff by planes around the world, which is the most intensive form uh, of most carbon intensive form of transportation, I was, hmm, maybe this isn't such a good idea. I started looking at ways that we could be more sustainable, worked on some initiatives around right sizing, which we can certainly dive into. Eventually took a job as a chief sustainability officer. And what I discovered there was, yeah, I figured there'd be a playbook, right, that I could 
poached from, and there wasn't much of anything. There was, I spent a lot of time Googling and trying to separate out the greenwashing, but here's the new fancy tech that won't be in the space, won't actually be available for a number of years from like, what can we actually do? And so after about eight or nine months, I actually had a decent playbook. And when we parted ways, it was like, well, I think other people could use the information that I've put together. And so I decided to put it together in a website called cutco2.net. And the goal there really is to help shippers find things that they can do to cut their emissions and cut their costs today, not tomorrow, not 10 years from now, but today uh, to be more sustainable and help their bottom line. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to be sustainable, but they have to be profitable. And so really wanted to show how people could both save money and save the planet and save them time because you know, spending your days Googling is really not a good use of people's time. I guess it's good for Google, but not necessarily maybe the rest of us or the planet even. <clears throat> I love that story because it I resonate with it. I've gone on my own educational journey over the last four or five years. A lot of it that doesn't yield immediately impactful results in my day-to-day -day job, right? It's more of a a future-looking personal development. I'm interested in this. I want to become credentialed in this. Before we're done, I want to spend a little time focusing on the biggest areas of improvement that you've seen with businesses and opportunities to reduce emissions and reduce costs. But I want to hone in on this idea that you just mentioned of um, immediate impact and, and not necessarily reinventing the wheel, if I should say, right? If people care about being profitable, as they should, uh, but they also want to have impact, aren't we really just rebranding things as sustainable that used to be energy efficiency, cost reductions, removing waste, like people doing things for profit motives rather than environmental motives? Absolutely. One of the things I realized when I was working on the, the class with you are logistics and sustainability 101, uh, logistics, sustainability and profitability 101 class, which is really is that the same calculation that you use to figure out the price you're going to pay for transportation is the same one for really calculating your emissions. There's very little difference. So, and again, the, the things that you do to cut your costs, which is reduce your weight, reduce your dimensions, fit more stuff into the same space, less trips, shorten the distance, use more efficient modes. So instead of shipping stuff on planes, put it on trucks, even better, put it on train, put it on boats. It's, it's all identical. So, you know, that's the thing that I realized is that people in sustainability understand sustainability. People in logistics understand logistics, but the two don't have a common language when in reality, optimization and sustainability just go hand in hand. I, I, I just interviewed somebody today um, and he was telling me a story about how they cut their cost and he realized, oh, and we were being sustainable. They Instead of shipping every single day from North Carolina to Boston, they just shipped a full trailer truckload once a week. They saved hundreds of thousands of dollars and they eliminated tons of emissions from the transportation costs. So it's people are doing it. They just don't realize that they're also being sustainable. And then a lot of people don't realize 
that these are simple things that they could do to optimize their operations, save money, and also help save the planet. So, so good. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by the complexities of corporate carbon accounting or the need for ESG reporting and all these like um, sprawling tiers of disclosures you've got to come up with. And at the end of the day, the majority of business in North America and globally are small to medium enterprises. Over half of GDP, 90% of the businesses, it's all small business. And you and I talk about this and we even mentioned it in that course that we led. You can't expect those people to make changes that they can't quickly implement or see a profit or a return from. And that return could be monetary. That return could be employee retention, satisfaction. There's lots of ways to do it, but we know that the easiest way to get someone's attention is to put a check back in their pocket, <laughs> right? So absolutely. And you have to make it gonna, easy. Yeah. Walk me through that, that cell, right? What are the, where do we go first? Like the first slides we had in that class, where do we take these small to medium enterprises to? First is helping them understand the larger opportunity, right? That that you can just by doing simple things like right-sizing your package, you can cut your costs, cut your waste, putting your inventory, like moving to more central DCs, shortening your distances, cuts your transportation costs, cuts your trans transit times and cuts your emissions. So it's kind of really just understanding um, and it probably helps to also give a framework and get people thinking about that logistics, as critical as it is, it's all waste. If I think about, right, do you want, the, do you care about the bottle, the distance it traveled, or the beer that's in it? You care about the beer, and if you can get rid of the bottle and the transportation, you'd be just as happy, and you'd save a lot of money. So once you kind of have that framework of, well, geez, what can I just get rid of, then it becomes much easier and everything flows from that. So again, you know, if I were to do one thing and one thing only, it's I'd look at right-sizing a package because in the United States, and I think it's probably pretty true globally, is the overwhelming number of planes and trucks, they cube out, they run out of space before they get too heavy. So I think I saw a number was like 70% of trucks are wind up, you know, are like 10,000 pounds underweight, you know, at least. So, right, just reducing the size of your packaging. And we've all received, you know, the package with the iPhone that's in a box that's, you know, massive. And so you're paying for a box that's too big. Then you're also paying for the space and you're, you know, you're creating extra waste, you're reducing capacity. And just by doing that, you enable more stuff to fit in the same space, you reduce your costs, and you reduce your emissions. And when you look at that, one national retailer I spoke to was able to increase their trailer fill rates by 75%. They went from 800 to 1400 packages per trailer. I mean, that's massive. Just think about you know, just what even a five or 10% increase in or reduction in trailers would mean from 
you know, a, a, a fuel usage, fuel cost, drive number of drivers required, you know, emissions. I mean, the the the, the opportunities are staggering. So that's you know, if you just talk about one, that's where I go to is kind of the fastest and easiest. It's just the no brainer. Well, it's got so many knock on benefits too that follow from that, right? <clears throat> less waste in the package itself, less trips for the truck, less fuel for the drivers out there on the road. Um, it, it seems like it's right at the heart of how we're moving goods, which is what logistics is all about, right? Who Who's responsible in that? Like, so if you're listening to this and you're a small, medium business, is this the warehouse 3PL's job? Is this the product design team that made it and needs to think through like packaging down through the tiers of the supply chain? Or where, where do you go to implement actionable solutions to right size a package? The answer, of course, is it depends. But the in most cases, right, with e-commerce, you're going to wind up overboxing. Now, if you design your packages right, you might be able to skip that. But that's another level of work. So we'll just put that to the side for a moment. Really, it would be your fulfillment house or your internal fulfillment that would be responsible. But I think you, as a customer, need to be reviewing and making sure that the 3PL you're using is actually has, you know, right sizing software or technology that they're using to to get your stuff in the right package. And you need to be monitoring that because, right, uh, one person told me that it actually wasn't financially beneficial for them to right size because, heck, the more that they the transportation cost was, the more they made. Well, as, a, as the end customer, right, you want to pay the least possible. So I would say is ask and make sure your 3PLs have a right sizing strategy that they can talk about either the software or hardware they're using and then provide metrics to you showing the amount of empty space you know the wasted space that you're getting a number that's makes sense because what we see with companies that aren't is anywhere from 30 to 60 to 70 80% empty space being shipped which right you're paying for, and you don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> That's a great example. You and I um, kind of come at sustainability in a couple different angles. I, I have a propensity for focusing on the future technologies and what needs to scale and how electrification or autonomy or future fuels can continue to, to tackle the growth of emissions. Yours is so much more tangible and practical and I would love to dive in to a few more areas of opportunity beyond right sizing. So I'm thinking now about the distribution warehouse itself, right? So if we've got the boxes going out of the warehouse, we understand where that low hanging fruit is. What about the buildings themselves? So let's talk first about placement. Where is your building placed? Um, because one of the things is the company I was working for, we were trying to figure out, you know, well, what's our value prop? How do we be more sustainable? And it's, we had distribution centers around the United States. And when I looked at it, there's so much, so much national distribution, right, comes out of California, the coast, come, flows from China, from Asia in, and then gets distributed nationally. 
Well, California is, is, I love California, grew up there, but it's an awful place to distribute nationally for because like compared to say St. Louis or Chicago, you know, down, you're looking at a, like a 40% increase in mileage to the average U.S. population. So you really want to move, if you're shipping out of a single GC, move to a central distribution center because then you're much you're able to fulfill, you know, shorten those mileages. You're able to move from really like if you ship out of Southern California, like 80% of your shipments are going to be zone seven or zone eight, which in parcel speak is your most expensive zones, your longest, your transit time, you're going to wind up cutting in half as well. So the benefits and for each percent reduction in distance is a percent reduction in emissions. So if you reduce your distance by 40%, you've reduced your emissions by 40%. So that's huge. Or you can split your inventory across two distribution centers and you, and you wind up saving about reducing your mileage about 60%. Again, reducing your transportation costs, reducing your transit times. So that's the first thing is, is distribution center placement. But then the distribution center itself, right? You have these big roofs, which are perfect for solar. Now, the challenges for a lot of companies is they're leasing the building, which you can still, the, the landlord now has a possibility of putting solar and selling it. But if you own your warehouse, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't put solar, right? You can basically use that for your, cover all your lighting. It's cheaper than the cost of getting it from the utility typically. And then there may be opportunities to resell it into the market. Different, every state has different policies, like in New Jersey and the Northeast, because electricity rates are so high, it can be incredibly lucrative. Um, but warehouses just make so much sense for solar. And then, of course, you got to put in LED lights, and that's a, just a no-brainer because that winds up reducing your electricity for lighting by about 80%, and you're also not generating as much heat. Uh, so that's, and then, you know, you can look at other energy efficiency options too, but those are kind of the two biggest ones uh, from a building perspective. And that's even before you start talking about tax incentives that have just come into effect for a lot of these solar installations as well. Yeah, there's all sorts of tax incentives. You, the, your, the, the providers oftentimes have financing that can be very favorable. You turn in your electricity costs from a variable always going up into a capital can project it out at a lower cost. So there's a lot of things that you can do there. Certainly happy to connect folks with, you know, with solar developers that can help them, you know, both on the energy efficiency and solar, but you know, that's just a no-brainer. And it, it, to me, it saddens me that we don't have, we've got 10 billion square feet of warehouse space and almost all of it should have solar. And unfortunately, we just haven't had the policies in place to make it that because it could just be good for the planet, be good for people's pocketbooks and would eliminate the need to put so much solar on agricultural land or elsewhere. Oh, I'm calling it here. Next five years, that's the biggest push to get uh, the renewable grid cleaned up, put it on warehouses. And that's also gonna help out with the electrification initiatives going around with last mile and fleet deliveries as well. 
Well, we've covered, I think, two of the most impactful areas for people to take action today and, and not just covered what they are and how you can do it, but the KPIs that supply chain managers should care about as they're trying to get these results back and communicated, even more importantly, upstream to their bosses on the results that they're having and their customers. Why is this a big deal for you personally, Kevin? Like, Why, why is sustainability important to you in your life? I'm a dad. I've got three amazing girls and I want to see their kids have the same opportunities that I did to, you know, live in a world that is not, you know, suffering massive droughts and ravaged by enormous hurricanes and, you know, sea rise and everything else is, I mean, climate change is an established fact. The basics are pretty well understood by everyone and we just need to act now. So, you know, for me, as the financial pressures have lifted and I can focus more on not just paycheck, but purpose, that's what I've decided to do. And it's also, frankly, a very lucrative field because people are waking up to, hey, this is solar is now the cheapest form of electricity. I can save money. We need to do it. So, but fundamentally, it's it's about my kids and about your kids and everyone else's kids because they have a right to the a planet that I grew up with. So good and so true. And we, we connect in so many levels in that regard. The trend is your friend unless the trend is a warming planet, unless you're in sustainability and logistics, and then the trend is helping you bring in more business, which should helpfully <laughs> reduce the impacts of climate change. So I'm on board and I love that approach. I think our listeners should be able to get a lot out of this. If they're not doing this already, they at least have somewhere to start and make an impact in 2023. There's no excuse for that. Right sizing and solar roofs and things like that are available today. Um, how can people connect with you uh, if they want to reach out and learn more? Or go to the site. What's the best way to get them in touch? Yeah, you can go to cutco2.net. And then also we did a uh, our first logistics class and I've posted the the presentation on the site. So that gives you a, a nice overview, some things you can do. And yeah, just go to the site and happy to connect or connect on LinkedIn. Always happy to help. Perfect. Well, I'm excited to do this with you. We talk a lot offline about it. It's finally good to do it on air. Thank you for spending 20 minutes educating the listeners and me as well. I always learn something when we talk. Hey, thanks a lot. You've been amazing. I've learned a lot from you. There are so many things that I don't know. I kind of chuckle. I tell people I'm the one-eyed man, the land of the blind. Most people really don't know anything. And so I'm able to share a little bit, but there's so much more to learn. And, you know, you've got such a depth of knowledge in really in transportation and, you know, fuels and all of that space. And it's been great working with you. Plus it's just you're a fun person to work with. So thanks. Thank you, sir. We just all want to get a little bit better every day. Hopefully this podcast helped people do that too. <laughs> we'll have to do it again soon, Kevin. Thanks, man. Thanks.